Happy Mother's Day. All right, gentlemen, let's give all the ladies a hand in the room. Every one of us had a mom. That's rocket science, isn't it? And this morning, the message that I'm going to bring is a message that God put on my heart that is a little bit different than any Mother's Day message I've ever brought before. As I was praying about this morning over the past couple of weeks and reading through Scripture from the older into the newer Testament and taking a look at the different ladies of the Bible, something began to dawn on me and began to grip me. There were just a couple of the stories of Scripture that began to get a hold of my heart. And so as I was moving towards putting this sermon together, I felt so strongly in my spirit that I was supposed to bring the message that I'm going to deliver today. I have been in full-time ministry for 30 years now, for 30 years. And in the midst of that, I've observed some things when it comes to women in the church, and overall, I would put it this way, sort of the lives that women live. And I am not one. I'm married to one. I've done my help with God's best to raise two ladies. So what I'm going to say at the outset is this message that I'm bringing, this sermon that I'm bringing is not from personal experience, but from what I've observed, from what I've observed in Scripture and also what I've observed about life. The other full confession is every single year when it comes to Mother's Day, I try to hand off the baton to a woman. And this year, my pastoral team said, no, it's your turn. So what I want to do this morning is process through very quickly four ladies of the Bible. And as we process through, there are certain things that I want to talk about because I know, I know that for a lot of ladies sitting here, the life you had planned on is not the life you're living. It's not. And yet the Bible has so much to say about that. And so here we go. I want to begin with this woman, that if you're going to talk about ladies in the Bible, you simply cannot pass her by. Her name is Eve. Can you imagine Eve's life? She didn't have to pick a husband. There was only one man alive, take it or leave it. (laughs) And the Bible tells us this incredible story, this creation narrative about how God, with incredible detail and love and focus, creates humankind as different than everything else in creation. And in that intimacy and in that personal fabricating of Adam, God breathes the Ruah Elohim. God breathes the breath of life into Adam and from Adam. God takes a part of his rib and he creates Eve. There's a lot of jokes about Eve being created after Adam, one of which is that God messed up the first time. But what we have is this. 
We have Adam and Eve as God brings them together. And they're living in paradise. Let me put it bluntly. It it is every bride's dream. The life that Adam and Eve are living. It's every bride's dream. But if you know the story and if you've ever read the Older Testament, even into the first three chapters, you know that dream does not go in the trajectory that Eve had ever thought it would. Here we have Adam and Eve together in total paradise and God has one rule. Do not go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat that fruit. And yet the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve go and they partake of the forbidden fruit. And in essence, they begin to understand things and they know things now that God never intended for humankind to ever know or experience. And you know that as they reach out and they take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that the wheels come off all of creation. And what's amazing is this, is that Adam and Eve had been participating with God in creation. It's an incredible thing to think about. Men don't get discouraged, but work was in the world before the fall. It was there. And so Adam and Eve are participating with God in creation and the management of creation. And as their eyes are opened and dysfunction and sin enters human relationships between God and people and in the creative order, all of a sudden we find as the wheels come off, God's judgment comes as well. And the judgment is this, that for the woman, she will have pain in childbirth. When the woman co-creates with God, she will be in pain. And for Adam, when Adam participates in the creative order with God, from now on, Adam's labor will be frustrating. It will not have the return it once had, but there are going to be thorns and thistles and weeds, and Adam's work is now frustrated. I don't even need to ask for a show of hands, but I know for the women that have been through childbirth, I've observed three of them, but I was also raised on a farm and one day it dawned on me that it wasn't just my wife that had pain in childbirth, but all of the mammal kingdom has pain in childbirth as well. Eve's curse did not just stop with humankind, but went and rippled through all of creation. And now here we have Eve. The life that she was living, the life she thought she would live, is now derailed and going in a trajectory she could have never imagined. I want to say this again. I know that some of the women sitting here, you can totally get in lockstep with Eve. On Mother's Day, this morning, the life you are living is not the one you thought you would live. Now, I would ask for a show of hands, but I won't, as to which women feel this way. Because the next person we're going to meet in just a moment might be him sitting right next to you. So we're going to hold off on that. But here's Eve. Eve, in the midst of everything going sideways, suddenly as God brings judgment on Satan... Is God brings judgment because of what he's done to Adam and Eve. God brings judgment against the serpent. And here's what Eve, 
eavesdrops in. That was a pastoral joke. You were supposed to be laughing. Eve, eavesdrops in on the conversation, and here's what she hears. As God brings judgment against the enemy of our soul, here's what we read. God says to Satan, her offspring, Eve's offspring, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Eve, as she eavesdrops in on God's judgment on Satan, suddenly she understands she will have children. She's going to have children, and eventually one of those children, a he, is going to get revenge on the enemy of her soul. You see, even in the midst of everything going sideways, even in the midst of God's judgment, there is good news for Eve. And oh, by the way, this is the first time Jesus is ever mentioned in Scripture, right here. That as God brings judgment against the enemy of our soul, Jesus is mentioned. Yes, the enemy will pierce his heel, but Jesus will crush his head. So if you're going to look at women in Scripture, you must begin with Eve. She's the first one. But now I want to move on to a second one. Abigail. You can call her Abby, or you can call her Gail, or you can call her Abigail. That was another pastoral joke. You were supposed to laugh at this moment. But here's this woman named Abigail. She's married to a very wealthy man. He's powerful. But here's what we discover is this, as we were to read in 1 Samuel. Here's what you would discover. Her husband's name is Nabal, and his wife's name is Abigail, and she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband was surly and mean in all of his dealings. Interesting. Here you have a woman that has a lot of positive attributes, but her husband, her husband is surly and mean. What an introduction to Abigail. You see, in this context, you would think to yourself, Abigail has every reason to be defeated. Abigail has got every reason to be bitter with God, to have turtled up in life and to pull herself out of life. But as you pick up the reading in 1 Samuel chapter 25, you're going to discover that Abigail is an incredible woman. And here's what I want to say as we begin to talk about Abigail. I want to say this. Ladies, I don't care who you're married to. Every once in a while, all of us are like Nabal. How many of you women know that this is true? You can look right at him and raise your hand right in the house of God. Absolutely. But you see, this was the constant state of affairs for Abigail. And as I was looking at the, the women of the Bible and the ladies of the Bible to kind of hold up as an example for us, I came across Abigail, and when I read her story again, I knew this was one we needed to talk about and to learn about. What ends up happening, happening is, is that Abigail and Nabal are living in a certain region. 
And there's this very famous Older Testament guy. His name is David. His name's David. And David at this moment is not yet king, but he's moving towards being the king. And he's moving around and he's hiding out in the wilderness and he's got several hundred mighty warriors that are with him and they will become his key players in his kingdom, but he's not quite there yet. And so as he is avoiding King Saul and he's running and hiding from King Saul, King David, the future King David, and his mighty men move into the region where Abigail and Nabal live. But you see, David was unique. He said to his men, don't steal any of the sheep. Don't steal any of what you see. As a matter of fact, let's protect these people from other thieves. And so what you discover is, is that Nabal and Abigail are being blessed and they don't even know it because David and his hundreds of mighty men are in their area. Well, eventually what ends up happening is David's men are hungry. And they've been living for many, many months and they've been doing well by Nabal's men because he's exceptionally wealthy and he's powerful and he has plenty of herds and he's got more than he knows what to do with. And so David, in true Middle Eastern culture hospitality, reaches out to Nabal. And he sends ten of his warriors and they go visit Nabal and they say this to him, Listen, would you be so kind? as to take some of what you don't need, and would you please give some to us, because we have not attacked your men, we haven't stolen anything, we've done right, we've gone way above what could be expected of us. And here's what Nabal says. He says, why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from whom, who knows where? You see, in that Middle Eastern culture, if someone's hungry, you feed them. You see this in the Gospels. It's the basic core of hospitality in that region. And David, who's been good to him and shown him way above what could be expected, now reaches out with accurate hospitality and he asks, and this is his response. Nabal said, I'm not going to give you a thing. Don't care where you're from. Don't care who you are. You're not going to get a thing. Well, David's response is quite amazing. He goes back and he looks at all of his mighty men and he says to them, listen, strap on your swords. And he gathers 400 fighting men and he leaves 200 with their encampment. And he says, we're going to head over to Nabal's region. We're going to kill every single man. And as they're on the march and as they begin to move, remember the scripture tells us that Abigail was beautiful and she was a wise woman. And scripture tells us that here's what she does. She hears David's men are coming and they're ready for war. And Abigail, without telling Nabal, reaches out and she gathers all of these things together. And it says, Abigail took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine. In other words, this is literally a huge probably the carcass of some large animal. I know it sounds gross, but that's how they traveled with wine. And she filled those up with wine. She took five dressed sheep, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs. And how many of you are hungry right now? And what she does is she gathers her servants together, but she never tells Nabal. And she says, get these things together. And she knows that David is coming through a ravine to attack her and her husband. 
and to kill all the men that work for them. But what she does is, she puts this out front. And when David comes through the ravine, all of these items are presented to him, and Abigail comes and bows at his feet. And here's what she says to David. Please, please pay no attention to that man, Namal. His name means what? Fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. In other words, she's saying to David, if I would have met your men, the decision would have been different. You would have been treated differently, and look, I'm so sorry you had to meet my husband. I mean, can you imagine? I'm so sorry my husband is an absolute fool. He's a fool, David. And now here I am, and she lays out for him this amazing spread. And she wins David's heart over. And instead of withdrawing the sword, he puts the sword away. And she intervenes, and the Bible says she saves her husband's life. And after that episode, it says she goes back to tell her husband and to explain to him what she has done for him. But the Bible tells us when she arrives back home, he is feasting like a king. And he's completely drunk. So she can't even tell him what she's done for him. And in the next morning, she tells him what's happened and how she saved his life. Isn't that amazing? Could you imagine being Abigail? Can you imagine being Abigail? What you thought life would be simply isn't. And she has to go out and save her husband's life. What a story. And what's absolutely incredible is again just a little bit later, she meets up with David, and here's what King David says to her. David said to Abigail, God has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from blood guilt. You see, David was full of anger and rage because the basic hospitality of Middle Eastern culture has been broken, and so he's going to show that man who's really the man. And so he's heading to slaughter him and to kill him. But Abigail meets him, and she comes with wisdom, with understanding. And when David finally cools off and thinks about what he would have done, he says to Abigail, you saved me from blood guilt. You saved me from going in and acting like I'm God. Can you imagine Abigail? Abigail lives in rough circumstance, but she does something with wisdom and she does something with courage. And when she does, in the end, she saves both men from doing something that would have ruined their lives. What an example! What an example of a woman who walks with wisdom and with understanding. Now I think about Nabal. You imagine being married to him. Abigail is. But she does not turtle, turtle up. 
She does not look at life and say, well, that's how he is, so guess what? I'm done. She doesn't look at him and say, well, if that's the way life is, I'm out. I'm going to retract myself. That's not what Abigail does. She walks out with courage, and she walks out with God's wisdom. And here's what I want to say to all of you ladies. Every man in your life at some time is going to be in the ball. I've been that way with my wife. There are times where my wife has said to me, I would not do that. But you know what? I'm the man. <laughs> and then I come home and sheepishly upload to her what I did. And she said, how'd that go? <laughs> Didn't go real well, actually. She never says, told you so. But I can see the look <laughs> that's in her eye. Please know this, ladies. There's no perfect man. There's no perfect relationship. But we serve a perfect God. And you can be an Abigail. Believe me. And some women sitting here have, been, have grown numb. You've shut everything off. I'm hoping that this story of Abigail reopens your heart so that once again you can believe that you can process through life even if you have a Nabal in your life. And in the midst of it, you can use wisdom, and you can use grace, and you can use love, and you can find ways of traversing through life that saves people's lives. What a powerful story. I also want to say this. Ladies, most men do not have a clue about how powerful hospitality really is. We don't have a clue. This woman understood hospitality. She understood the importance of it, and she knew how to create it. I know at times, when I want to throw a party, my wife will say, let me handle that. Because if you showed up at my house when I throw a party, you'll get a cake from Walmart and a couple of those blow whistles, and that's good enough. <laughs> Not Fran. Oh, no. Not Fran. It's this. Give me the credit card. Ugh. <laughs> and off she goes. But listen, when people walk into the room, and we experienced this recently as Fran put something together over at City Church Central, and I watched people walk into that auditorium, and when they saw that auditorium decorated, everyone said, wow. Hospitality matters. It says, I was expecting you. It says that I've made you a priority. It says that I care about the fact that our lives are going to intersect. Man, I am so much like Nabal, and so are a lot of men here. Abigails, don't give up. Keep taking the credit card. <laughs> Keep saving our lives. We need you desperately. Next, let's move to the Newer Testament. There's a woman named Anna. You know what's incredible about Anna? She just kind of launches into the Gospel of Luke and launches out. There's all of about two to three sentences that even talk about her. But as I was processing through and thinking about ladies and thinking about Mother's Day, I read the story of Anna again and I said, oh my goodness, look at that. Look at the story of Anna. 
The Gospel of Luke tells us that this is Anna's life story. Anna was probably married around the age of 14 or 15. It says she was married for how many years? Seven years. And then now, when we pick her up in the Gospel of Luke, she is 84 years old. So from probably the age at best of age 21 to 24, she was married. And she has lived as a widow ever since. And the scripture tells us, it doesn't say she did it right away after she had been widowed. It doesn't say that. But the Gospel of Luke tells her that when we meet her in the Gospel, that she was a woman that never left the temple but worshipped night and day and utilized fasting and prayer. Now if you don't know the Gospel of Luke, and many of you have never read it, She's this incredible woman that suddenly shows up in the gospel. And what you have is you have Mary and Joseph who are bringing the brand new baby Jesus. And they're bringing him into the temple in order to go through those eight, that eighth day ritual before God with their son Jesus. And as they walk into the temple, there's a prophet by the name of Simeon. And he shows up and he prophesies over Mary. And he tells her things about this child. Things that are going to happen. And then the scripture tells us that there's this prophetess, Anna. And the gospel tells us this, that Anna came to them, meaning Joseph and Mary and Jesus, that Anna came to them and spoke about the child, all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So anyone who was looking for God's fulfillment of his Older Testament promises, Anyone whose heart was crying out for Israel to be redeemed, to be bought back from slavery. It says anyone who would listen, Anna began to talk to them. And she was talking to them about that child. Here's what I want to say about Anna. I can promise you that Anna's life was not what she had expected. Can you imagine when she was first married? How exciting it must have been. And the Bible says she was married to her husband for seven years. And then he died. She never married again. It never says that she doesn't want to be married again. And if she was a true Jewess, she did. It also never says in the Gospels that she had children. You want to know why? She never did. This woman never had children. The marriage that she had dreamed of was cut short. And the gospel never says she did not want to be married again. It's safe to say that she did. You see, her life did not take the trajectory she had thought that it would. But we find her as a woman of prayer. A woman that's fasting. And I would submit to you, a woman who spoke into the life of Mary... Jesus' mother. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Anna? Here she is, and in that moment where the God who created all things comes in human form and is there in the temple, and she has this incredible experience where she gets to approach the creator of all that there is. And when she knows who it is, she begins to tell everyone that would listen. You see, this child 
He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one that is the hope of all people. Listen, I know that some of you are here. Some of you ladies are here. And you look at the childbearing thing and it's not happened in your life. And for some, marriage has not happened. Or marriage happened, but it is no more. I believe this story is interjected for you and for me to say this to you ladies. Your life is not over. God has not devalued you. Culture may have. God, no way. Do you hear me? God, no way. He looks at the station of life where you are. And God sees sovereign, divine potential through which His will and the furtherance of Jesus is so capable. That's what God sees. And what breaks my heart is that we live in a culture, and oftentimes the church will perpetuate this, that if you have not lived out some type of perfection as a woman, that somehow, some way, God must be done with you. Let me explain. I believe that the story of Anna is there for one reason, and it is this. It's for every woman whose life started off a certain way, but did not go the way that was planned. God's word to you. God's word as he shouts it to you this morning is that you are my beloved, you are my daughter. Just because the trajectory of life did not go the way that you thought it would does not mean that you are outside of who I am and me being with you. Well, now we have come full circle. We have come from Eve to Mary. We have come from Eve to Mary. The picture up on the screen is one of the most powerful scriptures or prints that I've ever seen. It's a picture that was drawn by a nun in the Midwest. And the nun painted this picture to express what it's like when Eve meets Mary. You will notice that in Eve's hand, is the symbol of the forbidden fruit, the decisions she made that turned creation sideways. Around her left ankle is the serpent. But you will notice that Mary's heel is on the serpent's head. You see, the story of redemption has now come full circle. It's come all the way around to where through Eve... The world went sideways, but through Mary, the world has brought hope and peace, and the world begins to turn itself right again. You see, that is the story of God. It's the story of the redemption of this world. And when I look at this, the question has to be, well, how do we put feet to our faith? What does it look like when we look at these stories where we begin with Eve, and then we look at Abigail. And then we look at Anna. And then we look at Mary. Listen, I want to say this as clearly as I can. Not one of these women's lives went the way they thought they would. Not one. But you know what? God was with all four of them in a profound, powerful way. 
So how do we put feet to our faith? How do we look at these four ladies in Scripture and these stories that literally altered the futures of other people? What can, can we be assured of? And it's this. Ladies, I want you to hear me and hear my heart. I want you to have confidence. Confidence. I look at Abigail and I think to myself, how in the world did she do what she did? How did she ever do that? And I look at Mary and I think the exact same thing. How did Mary ever do what she did? But here's what I know. In the biblical story, in all four of these women, let me tell you what, they had confidence and they had no reason to have it other than God. But man, did they have it. The next thing, move forward. Have confidence, ladies, and move forward. Even if you're married to Nabal. Maybe he's not normally Nabal, but he was this morning. I want to encourage you. Move forward. And here's what I know beyond the shadow of a doubt. God will be with you. If there's any message in the scriptures that we see, it's that with these women, God is with them. And even though the cultural evidence does not look like it, please know this, God is with you. And I've got this final parting thought that I was going to save for another sermon, but I couldn't help myself. Ladies, when it comes to heroes in this world, there's the type of hero who does something in a moment and it gets noticed. But there's another type of hero, and it's this one. Those who do something for years and it's never noticed. Let me explain to you this type of hero can happen in a moment. This type of hero in my world are the true heroes. The true heroes. And I know for mothers and I know for ladies, a lot of what you do, a lot of what you do, never gets noticed, isn't mentioned, or goes unthanked. Here's what I want to say to you. God sees. God knows. And men, we need to do a whole lot better job of noticing because you want an Abigail that will protect you when you are wrong. And all the men said, what did we say? Amen. I'm going to ask the ladies to stand. All the ladies. God in prayer. We're going to ask God's presence to be with us. Ladies, if there's anything in this message on Mother's Day that has touched your heart, something that is beginning to draw you out of yourself, we're going to ask God that by His Spirit, He's going to give you the strength that you need to do what it is you know God is challenging you to do and to be. 
So ladies, I'm going to ask that if you're comfortable doing this, just extend your hands in front of you. Just like this. It's a sign of receptivity and openness to God. And now all of the men, would you please join me in prayer as we pray a blessing over these ladies. God, I want to thank you for Scripture. I want to thank you for the stories of your word. I want to thank you for the women that we find in this ancient story. Lord, I know that each woman that is standing here in you and with courage and with confidence and trusting in you can be that type of woman that's an Abigail for many, that's an Anna for many, that's a Mary for many. So Lord, I pray now that you would bless all of these ladies that are standing in your presence. God, be with them. Cover them. And Lord, if their hearts have grown numb, I pray that you would soften them now in your presence. And that through Christ, each lady would experience hope and peace and renewed strength. So I pray a blessing over each one of these ladies. The blessing of Anna, and Abigail, and Mary. I pray these things in Jesus' name. In Christ's name. Amen. Gentlemen, stand with the ladies. We're going to take a moment of worship. you're with us today. If you're here for the first time, uh, we just want to welcome you. Now, in fact, let's give them a hand. Those that are here for the first time today, we're glad you're with us. Um, we have, hopefully on your way in, you've got one of these news feeds. Um, inside the news feed is a connection card. It gives you a chance just to let us know that you are here. Um, maybe ways we can follow up with you. If you've got prayer requests, 
go ahead and scribble those in there and let us have them. You can give them to us when, when buckets are passed here in a second, or, or you can do that in the boxes on the way out. Moms, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you for being lovers of us all our lives, all our days. Two ways we want to appreciate you today. In case you didn't notice, there's, a, there's an area set up outside for photos. If you want a family photo and there's some fun picture frames with uh, you know, words like, I'm mom's favorite or uh, mom's my superhero, it's a great way for you to get a picture today just to capture this moment remember it so please take advantage of that on the way out and grab a plant we've got plants for all the ladies who are here today um, feel free to grab one and take it with you let it remind you of this day and a love that continues to grow in your heart um, we're thankful for you we love you glad you're with us today Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Let's try that again. Happy Mother's Day. We've got a few very special things that we want to do right now. And uh, we want to honor a couple of the moms. And so we do this every year, and it's a lot of fun. And all the moms that are going to come forward need your prayers. But what we like to do is honor specific mothers. And the first mother that we would like to honor this morning is the mother that has the youngest child. So what we're going to do is, is if you're a mother and you're here and you have a child that's a year old or younger, I would like for you to stand. So if you're a mom and you have a child that's a year old or younger, I want you to stand. 
I'm going to need a little bit of help because I'm completely blind to my left with the light. But what we're going to do is we're going to count down backwards. And ladies, when the last one of you remains standing, we've got a special bouquet of flowers for you. But I want everyone to look around. These women need your prayers. I remember when my wife had children that were under a year old. I think it was one of the toughest times of life. Sweet but tough. And so 12 months, I'm going to count backwards, 11 months. When I hit the month of your child, please be seated. 11, 10, 9, 8, 7 months. Have we got one left? I... One person tell me at one time. One left? Oh, there's more. There's four. Wow. Really? What was I at? Can't remember. Seven, thank you. Six months. Five months. Four months. Three months. Two months. One month? Do we have two winners? Three? So we have, we have three moms that have children that are one month or old. Can we do weeks now? How about four weeks? Check with your husband how many weeks it's been. Since you haven't slept in a month, go ahead and check. So four weeks, three weeks old. Two weeks old. What? There's someone still standing one week old? Who is that? Come on up here, please. Come on up. Oh, I know who this is. Is this Veronica? Hi, Veronica. Come on up here. Let's give her a hand as she come on up. And I've asked my Abigail to join me up here this morning. This is Fran. And so if you guys could let Veronica come on up here. Come on up here. Uh, this is little Pax Pillar. His name is Pax, and he's 12 days old. Can you imagine? Don't go anywhere. Stay up here. And then what we want to do next is we would like to celebrate the mom that has the most children, grandchildren, great-grands, and just keep going. And I want to say this, oftentimes the question is, what if there was a blended family somewhere? That counts, because you've had to deal with those other kids too, and we think you ought to be rewarded for all of that. So, we're going to start now with eight children. So if that involves, ladies, if that involves eight children, grandchildren, great-great-grands, whatever it is, I want you to stand. Eight. Go ahead and stand. I'm going to go up rather quickly, but I figured eight was just an overwhelming number, so that's where we would start. So now we're going to go to nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. How many are left standing? Just one. Is that Elizabeth? Elizabeth, come on up here. Is she the only one left standing? 
Elizabeth, how many is it? How many? What's the total? How many? 13. Come on up here. Come on up here, Elizabeth. And then as Elizabeth is making her way up here, head over there by Fran, if you would, and come up those steps. The last one is the mother with the oldest child. The mother with the oldest child. So I'm going to start at the age of 50 just to help us. And so if you're a mother that's here and you have a child that is 50 years old or older, I'm going to ask that you would stand. And Elizabeth, you cannot win this one. You've already won one. You can't have more than one. Is that okay? That's perfectly fine. Very good. So 50 years old and older. So I'm going to go up 51, 52, and the absolute best age of a child, 53, 54, 55, 56. How many do we have left standing? Two? 56, 57. There's one. Please come on up. I, I'm not sure. Is that Penny? It is? Come on up here, Penny. I think you're the last one. Yes, you are. Come on up. Come on up. She's a friend of mine. You have to come up here. This means Alan does not have to buy you flowers. You can come on up. She's not coming up. Or do we have another one? Oh, your foot is damaged. Where's Abigail? Abigail, could you, would you mind giving that to her? Penny, I'm so sorry. I didn't know your foot was... How old is your oldest child? 60 years old. Well, congratulations to you and to Alan. And ladies, if you'll come on in. So in many ways, this represents the span of being a woman and being a mother. Isn't that awesome? Let's give these two ladies a hand. Elizabeth, do you have any wisdom for Veronica? Just know it's always going to get better and better. <laughs> she said, just know it's always going to get better and better. Oh. Can we pray over these two ladies? And they symbolize all of the moms that call City Church their home. Can we pray together? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Little Pax Pillar and Veronica and Seth. All the way through life's journey to where Elizabeth is now. God, I pray that your faithfulness would be shouted from the rooftops of both of these ladies' lives. Lord, we pray for every mom that you'll be with each and every one. Give them strength. Give them peace. And I pray that what Elizabeth just shared would be so true, it gets better and better. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, in Christ's name we ask. Amen, amen. and amen. Ladies, you can be seated. Let's give them a hand as they're seated. Can you carry this? There you go. Scoot that way. And now... We have a very special video that we would like to show you, so draw your attention to the screen.
My mom is great because she calls me every night before bed. My mom is great because she loves me and I love her as well. My mom is great because she loves us. My mom is great because she's always super supportive for when I'm pitching in a baseball game to all the way to the basketball game. My mom is great because she loves me. She helps me with my school. My mom is great because she would never lie to me and she was always supportive to me since I was a baby and forever. My mom is great because she kisses me. I love my mom and she cooks good food for me. My mom's really supportive and I love when she comes to my soccer games and swim meets. My mom is great because she watches me climb the rock wall. My mom is great because she takes care of me. My mom's great because she gives me hugs. Uh, my mom is great because I, I like the little kisses. My mom's special to me because she's pretty and nice. My mom is special because she homeschools me and I feel happy that she's here. And she always takes care of me. She always packs my lunches for school. Um, I like my mom so much because she loves me and she takes me down to my rest stop every week. My mom is special because she is nice. My mom is so special to me because she takes care of me and she makes me happy. Whenever I get hurt, she always um, gives me a band-aid to help me and she always helps. My mom is special because she draws me to places that kind of I like. I like my mom because she's so awesome and always lets me do things I like to do. My mom's special because She's the best mom on the planet. My mom is special because she loves me and she always um, takes me places that are fun. My mom is special because I love her. My mom's special because she's the bestest mama ever. Let's give all the kids and the workers in kids' space a hand as the kids head back. Go ahead, kids. Go that way. Go that way. Go ahead and start moving that way. God bless these kids' ministry workers, huh? Some of you are sitting here going, thank you, Jesus. I'm here for... Again, let's give all the kids a hand for being so sweet and so kind. And as they're exiting, would you please stand with me for the final pastoral blessing? And now, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you his peace and especially on all the ladies that are here this morning. And we pray all of these things. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.
and amen. Go out there and love your moms. God bless you. We'll see you again next week. Next week is Baptism Sunday. God bless.